Welcome to Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive, featuring conversations with performing artists and industry influencers on what it takes to succeed in the arts. I am your host, Diane Foy, and I believe that you really can make a living from your creative talents. As a publicist, podcaster, and coach, my mission is to educate, motivate, and empower you to thrive with authenticity, creativity, and purpose. Hello, and welcome to episode 34 of Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive. Today's guest is Erin Pride. She is a personal dance education coach, and she's also the host of the Dance Boss podcast. We had a good conversation about her career as a dancer and dance instructor, but also we share some resources of different books and podcasts that you may be interested in, and I hope you enjoy it. My name is Erin Pride. Um, I'm a Jersey girl. I grew up here, born and raised, and I love Jersey. I have been a dance educator in the in a high school. So I run a high school dance program, and I've been doing it for 14 years. It's the high school that I graduated from, and I always like to say it chose me. I didn't choose it because in my head, after getting my undergrad in dance, I was like, I'm going to perform full time. This is what my life is going to look like. And as you probably know, with other experiences in life, it doesn't always turn out the way you said it was going to. Right. Um, through that journey, I did perform. I did, I did land two big companies. Um, one company I danced with for about four to five years and I toured internationally with them. And then when I was 34 years old, I was like, I have always wanted to dance for Palabolus. Like that has been my dream company since I was in college. And I saw that they were having an open call when I was 34 years old. And I was like, okay, I am, I'm going to audition. And I went and I got it. So my job is really supportive in the way that I was able to miss work and balance that. Um, and then I just, you know, dove more into teaching and I got burnt out and I was like, there's something missing. I'm not sharing something. Like I felt like there were gifts that I had that were not being tapped into. So like you, um, I started a podcast and just started talking about dance education and dance entrepreneurship. And then I started answering questions that people had about dance education, but it wasn't like, what, can you give me a lesson plan? can you do this? It was more like how to define your teaching voice and how to make a class based on your values and how to really tap into what's meaningful to you as an educator and then create a way to share that with your students because that's what was lacking for me. And I found that like that was lacking for a lot of dance educators. So I'm kind of shifting into this role now. I still teach full time, but I see myself transitioning more into a dance education coach for high school dance teachers and teen teenage age dance teachers because that's my zone of genius right and I podcast and I public speak so that is where I'm at in my journey and that's and that and I'm really happy to be in this place cool so what was it when you were young like that drew you to dance oh so I grew up in an inner city where are you from Diane Toronto Okay, so I'm from New Jersey, and I grew up in an inner city of Patterson. My parents were both educators, but we lived in the hood, basically. Like, I lived yeah. in a nice part of the hood. Right. <laughs> but down the street was, like, not. Nah. So there was one high school 
in my town that didn't have like gang violence and that, you know, was a public school, but it was private and the fact that you had to audition. So since I was little, about four, my mom groomed me to get into this high school. It was a performing arts high school and she wanted me to go for dance. Well, the minute she put me on stage, like many little girls, I fell in love with it. And, you know, when I was in high school, it just made sense. I went through a lot of body image, a lot of things about not being accepted because people would make fun of the way I talked. My mom was an English teacher and she would have nothing to do with like slang. So like (laughs) when I went to school, I got made fun of a lot and beat up a lot. So dance was like my outlet and I kind of just latched onto that and it kind of, it kind of saved my life. It kind of made me feel like I was accepted. Cool. Was there certain um, types of dance that you liked more, more than others? Well, I mean, I tell you, like, I seriously get mad at my parents. I'm like, why couldn't you put me in a vocal lessons? Because I swear to you, Diane, if I had, if I knew how to sing, I would be a musical theater, like, guru. (laughs) I feel it in my bones, but like, I can't sing for a lick of me. So I love, (laughs) I love like, like jazz and modern. Well, not modern back in the day, but like jazz was really my thing. I loved jazz. Yeah, I I love musical theater. It's, it's like I always say that I'm a gay man inside. Um, so, <laughs> I love it. I love all the singing divas, and I wish I could sing like Celine. You know? <laughs> oh my gosh! Right? And dance like Janet. <laughs> I sing like Celine in my car, though. I swear I'm Celine. Oh yeah. <laughs> when no one else hears me, I'm fantastic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So was there a dancer or a show that you saw that just made you, that inspired you that you're like, oh my God, I want to do that? Well, when I was in college, I got a scholarship to go study at Jacob's Pillow for free. And Chet Walker, I took his, his trained under him. And it just changed my life. I was like, this is what I want to do. And to be completely honest with you, I, 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 I know I had potential because I got a scholarship and it's a really competitive program. But when I got in the program, I was like the worst of the best, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I had a lot of breakdowns in the classes. I, I, I felt like I wasn't good enough. But the way he approached me and approached just like including me and just the whole experience made me feel like, okay, I have a place here. I'm not always going to be the best, but I still have a place. And I just really connected to his teaching style. Right. And so what did you do um, after school? So after I graduated from school, my undergrad, I did like the grind. I was going on like cattle call Broadway auditions and I was like, wait, I can't sing. And this is not really what I want to do. So I started to go to concert dance auditions and I landed a gig with Vissy Dance Theater. Um, and it's like this Afrocentric modern funk house company. And I'm totally not that girl. Like I'm total, I'm black, but I have none of that in me. Like, <laughs> so, so, but, you know, I feel like in my life I, I was the underdog and I kept getting these breaks and it's beautiful. So I trained with that company. That's the company I was with for four years. And while I was with them, that's, that's what I was doing. I was taking class in the city and just training and touring with them. I had the privilege of touring Europe with them, which was amazing. That's like, it was like a dream come true. So that's what I did immediately after that while working the high school job. And then I went back for my master's in dance education. Um, I love school and I just wanted to 
wanted to learn more about the educational aspect of dance and, and just learn how to show up and teach my students more than just dance. At right. the time, that's what I was looking for. But looking back now, what I really wanted to teach them was like human development and learn how to structure my classes so that I can like really systemize, systematize their growth and things like that. Right, right. And what drew you to that? Like what, so you wanted to be a dancer as your career. Um, Is it just that you realize it's not really what you want and you actually prefer teaching or how did that transition happen? Oh, that's a great question. Okay. So the teacher, the high school, because remember the job I have now is the job that the high school I used to go to. So my mom called me and said, the teacher has left. You need to apply for the job. We can't support you anymore. Right. <laughs> so that's how I got into teaching. I didn't want it. I just had no other way. It was like, bye, we're not going to pay your bills. You need to get a job. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I got the job. And then um, the first day I walked in, I remember um, the kids and I fell in love with them, like teaching them. And I was like, what is going on? Because I'm the girl who couldn't stand it like taking the education classes, the dance ed classes in undergrad. Yeah. So I like totally fell in love with them and it it just filled my soul. And I was like, okay, I'll be here for a while. And a while is 14 years later. Right. And what do you teach? What do you teach there? Just uh, certain styles of dancing or is it you teach them, you were saying you want to teach them other things besides dance as well. So it's a, it's a program to prepare them to get into college. It's extremely rigorous. I rebuilt the program modeled after my undergrad. So they take ballet, modern jazz, dance history, dance entrepreneurship. They take composition. Um, They take all of those classes. Now, no, I come from the book where like, I don't think one teacher can teach everything. So we we have grant partnerships with people. We have a ballet residency that comes in. We have a modern residency that comes in. My strong, the classes I enjoy teaching are modern, jazz, and composition and then for everything else I teach it when I have to but we bring in other people to support me doing that yeah yeah well it's great that they add entrepreneurship as one of the classes because a lot of art schools it's all about the art and then they get out of school and have no idea how to make a living at it well you want to know something funny that happened I was standing in my class I was totally bored this was 10 years in I was like I don't want to show up every day and just freaking teach technique I was like there's more to it and I really got clear on what was interesting to me and this is like when I started to pursue my own entrepreneurial journey so I said I'm going to freaking make it a class for them so that I can share what I'm learning and once you share what you're learning, that means you really have a grasp of it. And then I can inspire them hopefully to know that if they don't want to pursue performing or teaching or choreographing, that there's other routes that they can go. Yeah. To always be around it. Yeah. I think too often we're told, well, I went to college in the early, the late nineties. So that, that was a time when it was like, you teach dance, you choreograph or you're in a company period. There was like nothing else. And now there's so many different avenues that they can go. So I never want a child to feel like they don't have a place in dance. I want them to know that they can always contribute to the dance community in some way if they feel it leaning on their heart. Yeah. Yeah. And what are some important things for performing artists to learn about entrepreneurship? Oh, making it in the arts, basically entrepreneurship making in the arts like every every idea like every I guess 
that anything is possible. And I don't mean to say that like um, Disney kind of anything is possible, but there's so many different ways to contribute to the arts. Like for one, like making Apollo shocks, they have this whole shock system, this whole shoe sock. They, it was just an idea because I spoke to them. It was like, it was just an idea or how you're coaching and you have a podcast is just from an idea. Right. The arts needs so many things that I feel like we have to educate people to understand that they can still do those things. So what, what do they need to know? They need to know that they need to just try it. If it's leaning on their heart, maybe that means you're supposed to do it because there's too many ideas that don't get made. Yeah. And that it'll be hard and it'll be messy, but all you have to do is put one foot in front of the other and try like every single thing that has led me up to this point. I really had no idea what I would do was doing like even the podcast, even when I showed up in front of high school kids, I had never really taught in my life or even when I went to go audition for Palabas when I was 34, I put one foot in front of the other. They said no to me at first. I sent them an email. They invited me to go train with them over the summer and then they hired me. So it's just about having that like, I don't know that like fighting mentality. And I don't mean like hustle where you have to burn yourself out, just like figuring out the way for you. Right. And it's interesting the way you approach it. It sounds like, cause usually, Oh, uh, if I want to be a musician, I want to be a dancer. I want to be an actor. There's just that one, one train vision that you're like, I either will make it or I'll be a failure. Whereas mm-hmm. I think what you're coming at it as there's so many different things that can make up a career in the arts. And so if you, it's not necessarily having a fallback plan, but you know, maybe if being in a company is your ultimate goal, great, but there's so many other things as well that you could create a career out of. Oh, for sure. But please know, I felt like a failure a lot when I was auditioning and not getting some of the work that I thought in my head was the make it kind of work. Cause right. The make it kind of work is different. We all put it on that pedestal. So I felt like a failure, but then when I got that gig with Palabalus and I was like, Oh, I have arrived. I realized, no, I haven't. Something is still missing in my life. Yeah. You know, so it's just like, there's never this moment when we arrive. That's, that's what I think we say. Like when I get this company, when I do this thing, but we're always evolving. And I, and now I know that I'm open to evolving and knowing that nothing is like the Holy grail, I guess. Yeah. What advice do you give your students? Oh my gosh, my high school kids, they are so dramatic. (laughs) Giving advice to them. (laughs) Like they're so dramatic. So we're doing like I created this whole curriculum for them. I'm actually building the curriculum as I'm doing it. Like uh I guess it's called a college bound curriculum. And we're using the book Everything is Figure Outable by Marie Forleo as the textbook. So I'm just trying to guide them in a process of making their own decisions of for what's right for them. And helping them accept the fact, like a lot are like, what if I don't get in this college? This is the college I want to go to. And helping them accept the fact that life is going to play out how it's supposed to and you're not in control of the outcome. All you're in control of is the effort. Right. So we, there's a lot of activity around that. Like we talk about it. They read about it. They, they do assignments about it. Um, 
Yeah. And, and it's, and it's, and it's good. This is the first time I ever integrated this, but I also see them talking openly about their feelings and starting to think about their choices and starting to accept and starting to broaden their ideas because they're not just so bent on like, this is the way life has to go. Right. And what is that book? Everything is figure outable. Yeah. By Marie Forleo. Yeah. I like her a lot. She's great. She's like this life business coach. And, um, I yeah, think I good. knew that. It's like just the title. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, I think that's my life <laughs> philosophy. Right. <laughs> I do everything myself. And it's like, well, how'd you learn to do that? I figured it out. <laughs> right. <laughs> you could figure it out. <laughs> it might take a lot of hours, but everything is figure outable. <laughs> Right. Like when they come to me, Miss Pride, like they'll be like with their co- college applications. I can't figure out how to do this or I don't know when the audition day is. And I'll literally sit down with them. I'll say, take out your phone and Google it. Yeah. Because sometimes they want somebody to hold their hands. Yeah. Right. But they, that, and that's this generation. They kind of want it given to them right away. And I have yeah. to just remind them, no, that's not how life works. You're going to do the work, but I'll sit here and make sure you do it yeah. for now. Yeah, that's kind of the coaching too. Because like everything I coach on, you could figure that out and you could go find this information. But I think there's a lot of people that do need that guidance and step by step. And and I've I've learned it too by having a coach because then you could only get so far trying to figure it out yourself. And it's going to take you a lot longer trying to figure it out yourself. So yes. The coaching is definitely a benefit. And so you know, I do have a coach, coaches that I learn from as well, that guide me step by step to get where I want to go. So it's a really great um, resource. Yeah, I do too. I have a coach too. And I think what I, my overall thing for them is like, yeah, okay, this is how you do it, but now do it. Cause as you know, as you know, as a coach, we can coach people for days and give them everything but it's actually the people that sit down and do the work that we give them or do whatever we suggest to them that are going to see the growth. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be committed to follow through. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And so then you started a podcast. Um, And so is your podcast and your company separate from your, I guess, day job as a teacher in the high school? Yeah. I like to call myself, um, a dance teacher by day and a dance education coach slash podcaster by night. Cause that's basically <laughs> how my life goes, you know, but I have the privilege. My students are my playground. Like I get to try new things out and share it with my clients, share it with my community on Instagram, Facebook, the podcast, whatever. So I'm definitely in a really good position right now where I get to actually have hands-on experience and try things and then share it with them, but they're completely separate. And I must be honest, the balance is not easy, but I think that I'm getting better at it. Yeah. I find a lot of people that want a career in the arts, they have a full-time day job and they kind of say, well, there's only so many hours in the day, but I think if you want it bad enough, you'll find the time, you'll find the dedication. And yeah, I've been in times where I've had a full-time job and this, you know, what I really want to do on the side and, and it it all kind of, it works out if you, if you're willing to put the work in. It really does. And I learned a really big thing, like a lesson that I needed to learn, like outsourcing for me is key because I cannot, like, I need to outsource and get support so that while I'm at work, tasks are getting done because there's no way I can do all the things that I need to do after like 3.30. 
Yeah. So I, I spend the money to, 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 to get support so that I can, you know, build a, a business that can one day support me fully. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a coach say that before too. Like, why are you doing like $10 an hour work? <laughs> you know, when you could hire someone to do that $10 an hour work and free yourself up to do the bigger work. Right. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's a process of learning, right? Letting go of that ten dollar an hour work and actually paying that money is not as easily said. Like done, it's hard to come off of that money. But yeah, yeah. yeah. At it, first, I've I've only just kind of started poking my finger into outsourcing, and it's like, but it's going to take me longer to teach them how to do it, right? <laughs> but no, I, I've I've let go, and I do have someone that transcribes my podcasts, and that's my little, you know putting my toe in and I'll work my way up to releasing more work to others. (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think that's great. And it, and I started slow too, you know, and, and it's all a journey. And one day I'd love to outsource most things and just get to show up and, you know, share what I love. Yeah. But you, you asked me about the podcast and the coaching. I, um, I got into it because I feel like my season of teaching is coming to an end physically with my body. Right. Um, I don't, I don't want to be in the classroom forever. I do not want to teach well into my fifties and sixties. I, yeah. I know that about myself. So I, and I don't want to be a college professor. I like the online. I love everything about social media. I love everything about technology. I love everything about editing. Like I am totally a techie and I love being creative. And this is another way I get to bring the creativity from dance into my life. Like I'm still creative. And I was like, how can I do this? How can I be creative? That's in a way that's going to make me feel full as I age. And I found my answer and everybody's answer is different and that's okay. Yeah. There's a lot you can do online now and in different ways that you can share your knowledge and experience. Yeah. And the podcast is part of it too. You could share your knowledge and experience out there. Um, for your podcast, like what, who have been some of your favorite guests? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. You got me nervous. Okay, Laura. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, they were all fantastic. They were all amazing. <laughs> wow. Okay, so my one of my favorite was Lauren Ritchie. Mm. She does the dance podcast. Yeah, and I love her podcast. Oh my gosh, me too. And I actually, I actually heard hers and I was, that's the first podcast I ever heard in my life. And I was like, this exists. And then I assigned it to my students as a listening assignment. And then I was like, I feel like I have something to say. So she kind of, she was the catalyst that inspired me to start one. Oh, cool. That's funny. Cause like when I first started getting into podcasts too, I knew I wanted to combine acting, dancing, music. And so I'd find the different podcasts and she would be my dance resource. And then there'd be another actor doing an acting podcast and then a music, not a lot of music ones out there actually. And uh, so I kind of got inspiration from her as well. That's a great dance podcast. She kind of interviews everyone who's anyone in the dance industry. No, she really does. It's really, it's really cool. Um, I, I really enjoy her. So she was one. Another one was this woman named Saba Kudad. She wasn't a dance educator and she wasn't the, she was the first non-dance educator I had, but she brought this concept of like design thinking in dance education on the podcast. And it totally rocked my mind about just creating for my students, creating connection, creating class culture, creating assignments. So that was really cool. Yeah, that's all I have. I'm getting nervous. (laughs) (laughs) 
they're all fantastic. Um, they're all great. What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned since going either the podcasting or in your other side gig? What are some of the lessons you've learned? Well, when I was 34 and got the gig with Palabalus, I learned that I learned humility. I'll never forget this, this one incident. We were doing something, a movement, and they were all young dancers, like for real young. I was like, are you serious? And you know, I was like, oh my gosh, they had to be in their twenties. And a dancer was like, no, you don't do it like that. And you know, my ego jumped in. So one of my biggest lessons that I learned is like to keep my ego at bay. Like I'm always a student. And another lesson I learned then is that I was too old for myself to tour. I didn't want to do that. Like, and, and that, and that was breaking up with dance at that moment that was breaking up with performing and my heart like broke and I was depressed. But from that, I learned that there are other ways to express myself and other ways to use my gifts. And that was a long journey of acceptance. Um, but it finally happened and I got to exhale and like, now I'm finally okay with like not performing, even though I take class here and there, but that was a big lesson. And then as far as starting the business, just to, to keep my blinders on, like um, there's so many people, especially when your business is very he- relies very heavily on social media and connecting. There's so many people out there doing similar things, posting. I have to keep my blinders on to really remember that I was gifted certain things and that's where I need to share from. I don't need to worry about what anybody else is doing with how many ever followers, how many ever likes I need to keep my blinders on and focus on me and focus on the gifts that I have and focus on the people that will come to me because of my gifts and not worry about what other people. Yeah. That is the biggest lesson. Yeah. When you, when you, that one, yeah. I kind of teach that in like my coaching in the sense, and it's been a lesson for me too, that yes, there's lots of competition out there, but nobody's going to do it the same way you do it you know, you're unique and it's figuring out what's unique about you and being more open, like opening yourself up and really sharing who you really are. That attracts people. Yeah. And I, and I love that you said that sharing who you are and it like the art of storytelling. That's what it is. People connect to a story. Yeah. You know, and so just learning how to tell your story in a way it's a challenge and a big learning curve in itself. I, I love that. And my last one though, I have one more, the finances of my business. Like that one is a huge, like biggest lesson because I feel like you cannot be successful in business in, unless you understand your numbers. And I thought like my creativity, my charisma, all <laughs> the things can carry me. But at the end of the day, if you can't balance your books or you can't take care of your taxes, and you can't really get a system down to make money, then it's like, how? what's going to support the way you live? Right. I know. Artists want to run away from it. I want to run away from it. I do too. I hate it. I hated it. And I made it my goal to not hate it this year. I was like, you're not going to hate it. <laughs> I was just talking, I think on the last episode with someone about there's that right-brained uh, business plan book where she has you kind of do a vision board for every part of your, your business plan. I love that. And it's because creatives and artists, like they want to run away from having a business plan. (laughs) But so she tries to embrace your creativity and do a little vision board for each section of the, the uh, business plan. So what book is that? That sounds cool. It's actually called the right brain 
business plan. Okay. By okay, Jennifer cool. Lee. All right, I'm gonna look that look she, that up. Her company is Artisan Coaching. Okay. And I think she just teaches a lot of right brain business type stuff. Oh, I love that. For us crazy creatives that don't want to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's annoying. I'm like, uh. <laughs> I actually just saw that she has a uh, a course on Creative Live for the right oh, brain business she? plan, and I think yeah. it's coming up like tomorrow. Oh, oh, I'm going to check it out. Yeah, because, you know, I don't know. Do you know about Creative Live? Um, yes. So it runs for 24 hours for free, or you could just buy it. It actually, mm -hmm. I think it was only like 25 bucks anyways, so I might just buy it. Um, but, yeah, I think it's coming up tomorrow or the next day where it's uh, the Right Brain Business Plan course. Oh, I'm going to check it out. Yeah. I think That's I'm going to buy it and then I'll do it when I come back from vacation. <laughs> yes. Yes. Good way to end the year, start off the new year. At least, you know, start thinking about your business plan, even if you don't need a, you know, a left brain version. <laughs> yeah. Just think about it. Visualize it. Yeah. So how, how, what is your relationship with social media? Do you love it? Hate it? Oh my gosh. I'm on a social media break right now from, yeah. I took off on Monday and I'm going to go back af after the new year. Oh, wow. You're going to take that long off. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, you just need a break. Well, let me be honest with you. I'm the type of person, like I don't have boundaries with it. So I have to kind of disconnect and reestablish the kind of relationship I want to have with it. Right. Because always being on my phone is not going to work for me. Yeah, it, it was kind of it was depressing. And then I was like, what am I valuing? Like, what, what do I do? I care about helping people or do I care about if I got likes and thought like when it started to get about that in my brain? I was just like, oh, no, this has to take a pause. I have to disconnect right now. Right. Right. That's cool. You got to reevaluate and uh, come back to it. But when you are thinking about it for business, like, do you have any strategies or tips that you find work totally like I am I'm a really I'm a really open person um you know I believe that anything I'm healed from I'm willing to share if it's still a sore point like if it pains me to talk about I probably wouldn't share it with right. anybody so I share pretty openly I love storytelling I love storytelling I love um taking the the reader through a journey you know, I've been listening to a lot of, I forget what the name of the podcast is. I'll have to email it to you. It's so good. Um, she talks about just looking at your social media posts and seeing how many times you write like you, like, no, write me. I did this. It's about me right. and replacing it with like you so that you can feel like you're pulling the reader in right? and making it about them. Um, yeah. And I, and I just consistency, consistency, like my following grew, my connections grew. That's where I get most of my clients because I show up consistently. I'm on Facebook lives twice a week, sharing about dance education for longer than 18 minutes, because that's when the algorithm will start to, um, boost you after 18 minutes. Right. Okay. Um, I post twice a day on Facebook, on Instagram. I post once a day and I'm in my stories. I try to give value all the time. I, yeah, that's it. I'm still figuring it out, but I feel okay where I am. I'm actually going to thinking about joining Tyler McCall's um, fan to, what is it? Follower to fan society. I've been thinking about that. So Okay. I'll check it out. Um, yeah, you're, you're pretty consistent. That's really good for social media. So you deserve a break. 
I need to be more consistent. I and I think it's just it's all about having systems and plans in place. And I think if you don't have a system or plan in place, then it just kind of gets away from you. And you either get sucked in or you don't post enough. So I think I gotta set myself up with a bit of a plan and and you know, be more open, put myself out there more. Do I haven't made it to video lives yet, but I'll, uh, that'll be my new thing. And uh, yeah, yeah, being consistent with it. Yeah, but I think what works for you, like people say on Instagram, they post every day. I post Monday through Friday because I'm like I'm not about to give up my weekend for Instagram. Right. So like that's how that's how I sh- you know show up. And then Tailwind is pretty cool. Like they tell you like your posting times and like they remind you to post. So that's, that's, that's it. I got to figure out social media too, though. Cause I don't really like it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't like like the, the way it makes me feel sometimes, but I yeah. like the actual connecting of it. Yeah. I liked what you said. I think when you first started talking about it is when you get absorbed into thinking about how many likes you have as opposed to are you contributing? I like that kind of thought process of like approaching social media in a way that, okay, am I serving my audience? Am I giving value? Not just how many likes do I have? <laughs> right. That's and then deta- to think about. Yeah. And then I have to like physically detach from like mentally detach from the likes. Right. Why do I want them? What does it make me feel like? And it's all tied back to dance. Like I, everything is like, why yeah. do I have to be like, it's so crazy how things repeat themselves and they come back in a total different like way. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So where can we be, find you online in social media when you're back? What are your, what are your yes. URLs? Yeah. So my podcast, I hang out on the dance boss podcast every Thursday coming at you with like dance education tips, interviews with dance entrepreneurs and specialists. So you can check that out. And then my website is Erin D the letter D pride.com. And you can find me on Instagram at Erin pride and the website has links to everything. So you can just go there. Perfect. Okay. Wonderful. And what's your favorite podcast? That's not about dance. Go. Oh my gosh. Rise <laughs> by uh, Rachel Hollis. Rise. Okay. I've heard of it. I don't know. I like, I girl crush on her hard. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like the, I'm loving the Dak Shepherd one. I can't. I, everybody's talking about that. I haven't listened to it. Oh uh, yeah. At first I was like, why is it two hours? Or like, you know, he might talk to the person for an hour and a half and then they do an after show for like a half hour. And at first I was like, so not into it. And now I'm like obsessed. I need to hear every detail. Are you serious? <laughs> Wait, uh, two hours? Okay. I'm like, I'm scared, but I'm gonna do it. Well, like he has this co-host. He calls his, I don't know, soulmate. Um, and, <laughs> and she does fact checking. So after they do the interview, she does a fact check to see if everything he said and everything the guest said was right. <laughs> oh. but usually it's just them talking about nothing for a half hour. And at first that's what you think. I'm like, why am I listening to this? And now I'm like, I do need to hear about the TV show that they watched last night together. I need to know. <laughs> I can't wait to listen. Okay. I'm going to put that in. Armchair expert. <laughs> the armchair. Yes. Yes. Oh, the one I was going to tell you about that I'm loving right now also is the Angie Lee show. I'm loving her. I don't know how I found her, but I love her. Angie Lee. 
Yeah, she's all about social media with a fresh like twist, and she talks about storytelling and connecting. I like her. Okay, cool. So I'll include links to all of this that we're talking about in the show notes. And thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you too. And I'm going to have Emily send you the link because I'm going to stalk you until you have time to be on my podcast. Yeah. Yes, I can do that. It's like a pleasure to speak with you today. For links and a transcript, visit singdanceactthrive.com slash 034. Thanks for listening to Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive. Be sure to join the mailing list at dianefoy.com to gain access to exclusive bonus content, a weekly newsletter, and an invitation to our private Facebook group of purpose-driven performing artists and industry influencers. 